Good morning, everyone. It's great to be back here at Union Church. Uh, thank you so much, Pastor Mark, for <clears throat> the opportunity of sharing God's Word. And I would like to take uh, the opportunity as well to express on behalf of CETECA, the Central American Theological Seminary, our thanks because you are partnering with us in helping to train men and women to serve the Lord around the world. Look forward to being with you all for the Mission Sunday a little bit later on next month. But today we come to Mark, again we continue in Mark, on our journey through this very amazing gospel. And we're going to look at a miracle of healing. We're going to see a process of teaching as well. You know, it's important to be able to see and to be able to see well. Uh, about a couple of years ago, I went to see a, an eye doctor and I was having trouble seeing, even with my glasses. And he says, You need surgery, you need cataract surgery. He's a, quite an amazing doctor. And so uh, he likes to operate on both eyes at once, which he did. I said, for one day, you're not going to be able to see anything. And come back, and I'll take the bandages off. Well, I went back the next day, and he took the bandages off. I opened my eyes, and I couldn't see very well. I could see shapes, but they were really blurry. So I said, yeah, I don't see very clearly. He said, don't worry. In a day or two, you're going to see just fine. And that's what happened. My eyesight cleared up, and I could see well. It is important to be able to see, and to see well. And this brings us to our story this morning of the healing of the blind men. As we think back through the Gospel of Mark in the past, Jesus has been traveling. He was up in the north in Tyre, siding up in that area. They came back south into Decapolis. These are Gentile regions. And something's, there's a shift here. Because he's heading back to the Gentile region. He goes north, on the north side of the Sea of Galilee, where the city of Bethsaida is, and he's going to keep on going north, all the way to Caesarea Philippi and beyond. So after having had the first part of his ministry basically in Galilee with the Jewish people, he's now in a different region. And there's a major change in focus as well, because for the first half of the book of Mark, Jesus is ministering openly, publicly. People are thronging to come to him, and he performs all kinds of miracles. In the second half of Mark, Jesus pulls back. He's with his disciples. He's teaching them. It's a private ministry, preparing them for the time when he will have to give his life. And uh, they're having a hard time with this. So here they are in Bethsaida. On their way north, they've gotten out of the boat. They've started their journey. And as they walk by the village, some people come out. Hey, 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 hold up. Uh, Jesus, we want to talk to you. I can imagine the disciples saying, hey, you know, we're on a journey. We're, we we got to keep going. And they, it says here they begged. Very interesting expression. 
please, Jesus, take a moment and stop. We've got a blind man here that needs healing. Well, Jesus stops. Uh, why does he stop? Well, partly out of compassion. But let's remember Jesus is in the process of teaching his disciples. And here's a perfect opportunity for a great lesson. So he stops. It's interesting they said these people begged Jesus to touch him. Uh, there's emphasis on, on touching in this story. Uh, Jesus took the man by the hand. He touched him. Twice he touched his eyes. That touch of Jesus, that very personal touch, reflects his interest and his love. But the main purpose of this story is to teach something about a process. It's the only healing case where Jesus didn't heal right away. Here it says, he, he half healed and then totally healed. Interesting. So he's, he's, uh, he took him outside the village, and why did he take him outside the village? That's a good question, too. Uh, we read in the following chapter that says, Jesus didn't want people to know where he was because he was teaching his disciples. He wanted to be away from the crowds. And of course, he takes him out of the town, along with his disciples. And this is a perfect opportunity for Jesus to use this miracle to teach. Um, a few years ago, someone wrote a book saying the miracles are also parables. Every miracle has a lesson in it. So Jesus takes him outside the village. He spits on him first, spits on his eyes, and he touches him. And then he says, do you see anything? So the man kind of you know, opens his eyes and kind of looks around and, yeah, yeah, I can, I can see some shapes, but I can't see any details. So Jesus touches his eyes again. Does now what do you see? Ah, now I see clearly. The expression here is I, I see perfectly. I get better than 20-20 vision. I can really see. Jesus sends him home, tells him not to go into the town. It's part of the same process. He doesn't want people following him because of the miracles he does. There's something far more important. And this is one of the lessons out of this story. Jesus wants us to follow him not because of what he does for us, but because of who he is. And this is what the Lord is doing. He's trying to help the disciples understand who he is. But you see, the disciples are in a process too because they're like that blind man. They're starting to see, but they haven't gotten the whole picture yet. And Jesus wants them to see the full picture. So uh, they was, had started off. They were on their way to Caesarea Philippi on the north of the Sea of Galilee, and they keep on their journey. And like Jesus often did, takes advantage of the time that they're just walking on the road to talk. And uh, so on the way, he asked them, he said, oh, by the way, I have a question for you. Actually, I have two questions. First, who do people say that I am? And second, who do you say that I am? Or who do people say that I am? Well, people, all kinds of things. They say, you know, probably somebody who lived before and came back to life. 
could be John the Baptist. You know, Herod had already killed John the Baptist. Maybe he'd come back to life, or maybe it was Elijah. Maybe it was one of the prophets. So people think he's a dead prophet come back to life. And so the people out there, they didn't really see anything very clearly at all. They didn't get the picture. Then he says to them, but who do you say that I am? Ah, okay. Who answers? Peter, he's the spokesperson. When Peter speaks, he's not just speaking for himself. He kind of represents the whole group of disciples. And Peter comes up and he says, you are the Messiah. The Messiah is the anointed one, the promised king who would come. People were looking for somebody to come and save them from the Roman Empire. They were looking for a Messiah who would come and bring political stability and peace to them and prosperity. And when Peter says, you're the Messiah, that's what he's thinking about. But that's only half the picture. That's part of it. Yes, Jesus is the king. He is the one who's coming to set things right. Yes, he is. But there's another side of the story that the disciples hadn't learned yet. They were just seeing part of it. So he goes on and continues to teach them. He says, okay, I want to teach you something. I want to teach you that the Son of Man must suffer many things. Be rejected by the elders, chief priests and teachers of the law. He must be killed. Then he will rise again after three days. But first he's got to suffer. He's got to be rejected. He's going to have to die. Now, how does Peter react to this? And remember, he also represents the thinking of the other disciples. Peter took him aside started to scold him, rebuke him, reprimand him. Lord, this can't happen to you. You're the Messiah. you got to take over the kingdom. You can't die. You can't suffer. And how does Jesus respond? It says Jesus spoke plainly. He's trying to get them to get a clear picture of what's happening. They haven't gotten it yet. And he says something that startles us. It says he began to, he took Peter and rebuked Peter. Peter was rebuking Jesus, now Jesus rebukes Peter. And he says, get behind me, Satan. That's pretty strong language, isn't it? Why? Because Peter's perspective was the same one that Satan brought to Jesus at the temptation. You can have the kingdom without suffering if you just do what I want. And Jesus said, the idea that you can get to the crown without the cross comes from Satan himself. Get behind me. Why? Because you're looking at things from a human perspective. You have only half vision. You see the crown, you see the Messiah, you see the success, but you're not looking at what has to come before. 
Because before the, cro the crown, there is the cross. Before glory, there is suffering. And I'm going to have to go down this road. You need to understand it. That's the full picture, the full vision. I am the Messiah who will rule, but first, I have to suffer. And this leads to the lesson that Jesus is going to teach. He called the crowds to him with his disciples. There were some people around too. It wasn't just the disciples. But he wants this lesson to come across clearly. Whoever wants to be my disciple, whoever wants to follow me, must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Three things. What do they mean? Deny yourself. That means say no to your own personal ambitions. Take up the cross. We often see pictures of Jesus carrying the full cross with the main cross and the cross beam. It really, it wasn't quite that way. Often those main poles were left in place. And what they would do, they would put the cross piece on the shoulders of the condemned criminal and make him carry that. That was heavy enough. Go through the streets outside down the road to wherever the crucifixion would take place. And what did that mean to carry a cross? It meant that as you walked down the road, people would laugh at you. They would spit on you. They probably would hit you. They'd make fun of you. Yeah. It wasn't a very, very pleasant situation, was it? He said, my followers have to be willing to take that cross and go down the road of rejection, suffering, ridicule, for my sake. And then he follows up with this little lesson. He says, whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. If you try to save your life, if you try to avoid suffering, if you try to avoid the path of sacrifice, you're going to lose it. If you're willing to give all that up, you will save your life. And he adds, whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. We lose our life for Christ's sake. Why? Because we recognize who he is. <laughs> He's the Messiah, but also the one, as we sang, who also gave his life. We get the full picture of who Jesus is. And we say, he, he deserves it all. He deserves my everything. For his sake, I'm willing to give up my life. And he adds, for the gospel. How great it is to be part of what God is doing around the world to get the gospel out to people here and elsewhere. And that can require sacrifice. But he says, if you lose your life 
for my sake and for the gospel, and you're going to save it, you're going to gain it. So when we get the full picture of who Jesus is, we had that clear vision. He is the Messiah, but he's also the one who came to suffer. And he invites us to accompany him on that journey, not just for the crown that comes, but for the cross on the way. Not just for the future glory that we'll all enjoy, but for the suffering that's necessary before we can come to glory. Now, what, is that, what might that involve for you and me? Well, I was thinking about that and thinking about the things that we may have to sacrifice when we really recognize who Jesus is. What we might have to lose. We might have to sacrifice time. We all like our own time, don't we? God may call us to set aside some time that we might like to spend on ourselves and spend it for him. And I know a lot of you are doing that. You're involved in the church and other ministries, giving time, your time, sacrificing it for Jesus. It might involve our money, our wealth. Someone said you need to give till it hurts, you know. <laughs> uh, we're so used to spending money on ourselves, aren't we? I know a lot of you are generous givers. And that's what Jesus calls us to do, to give sacrificially, not just a little bit here, a little bit there. It's the path of sacrifice. We may have to sacrifice our plans. This is what I want to do. Just a moment. But if Jesus is the Messiah and the Lord, and I'm his follower, what might he want me to do? The path of sacrifice can often involve trials. As we follow Jesus, we may experience ourselves or in our family or in our friends sickness. I know some of you have gone through hard times. As you're following Christ and there's suffering in your family or in your own life. That's part of the picture. Maybe it's financial suffering. Maybe it's professional suffering. I don't know. But when we follow Jesus, he may call us to suffer. That may be the path. We may suffer because we take a stand for what is right. This last week I was talking with two electrical engineers. And both of them told me the same story. They were let go from the job they had because of their Christian convictions. It can happen. Yeah. We may have to lose our life, but Jesus says, if you lose my, your life for my sake and for the gospel, you're going to find it. And you're going to find great blessing. Even in the midst of the hard times that we may have to go through. What is Jesus calling us to do? What's he calling you to do? What's he calling me to do? He calls us to 
Yeah, move toward glory, but first of all, follow that path of sacrifice. And when we have the clear vision of who Jesus really is, then our response has got to be full commitment. But you know something? <laughs> when we respond in that type of full commitment, Lord, just take all my life, take everything I have, we end up gaining. Uh, there's a story just in the next couple of chapters in Mark that you're going to get to where James and John, they're, they're in the process of trying to learn this. So they're thinking about Jesus and his kingdom, and they say, Lord, you're going to set up your kingdom pretty soon here, you know, and Lord, please, please give us the two top spots. And Jesus says to them, I have a question for you first. Are you willing to drink the cup that I'm going to drink? Are you willing to suffer what I'm going to suffer? And they get you know, kind of bold and say, yes, Lord, we will. We can. She said, okay. You're going to go through that. You will eventually come to the kingdom, and when that, come, that time comes, my, my father's going to decide who's going to have what positions. But you need to realize that before the kingdom comes, you're going to have to go through a path of suffering. Are you ready? And they said, yeah, we are. And you know what happened to those disciples? They were, they were in the process of learning, and they eventually got the picture clear. And all the disciples, except Judas, who, of course, we know his story, and the apostle John, who apparently lived and died a natural death, all the other ones died a martyr's death. They had to suffer. They had to give up for Jesus. Total vision. Yeah, who Jesus really is. He's the coming Messiah. He's also the one who's going to suffer and cause us to accompany him on that road. That's who Jesus is. And the response, total commitment. Do you know when we respond in total commitment to Jesus, knowing who he is, and what he calls us to do, you know what comes? Total blessing. Peter was one time said, Lord, we've given up all, given up all these things. What are we going to get? We don't follow Jesus because of what, he, of what he gives us. We follow him because of who he is. But there is blessing on that road. Jesus said, yeah, you're going to be suffering, but you're going to get a lot even in this life. A hundred times more, he said. And in eternity, Wow. Tremendous blessing. When I was in high school, uh, I went to a Christian boarding school, a wonderful school up in North Carolina. Uh, my roommate had a little radio, and we would listen to the news. And one day we got this news bulletin. A group of missionaries in Ecuador has disappeared. They left in a plane to go try to reach out to one of the tribes in the Amazon jungle, and they haven't, we haven't heard from them. And as the story came in and more details were uh, released in the news, turns out that these five missionaries had all been killed by that group of Auga Indians in Ecuador they were trying to take the gospel to. 
One of those missionaries was a man by the name of Jim Elliott, a brilliant guy, graduate of Wheaton College. He could have done anything in life. And uh, I imagine there were people who asked him, well, Jim, why are you going down to be a missionary to the Indians in Ecuador, you know? Why don't you do something better with your life? And Jim Elliott penned these words, he said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And that's what Jesus calls us to do. So let's bow our head for just a moment of reflection. Ask the Lord to help us have the full vision of who Jesus really is. Yes, the coming king, but also the suffering savior. Especially as we reflect at this time of year on his suffering and death. And then let's renew our commitment to him. Tell him, Lord, I'm willing to lose whatever I have to lose to gain what you want me to gain. I want to live for you. Dear Lord, thank you for the lesson this morning. Thank you for your patience in teaching us. We're all in the process of understanding more who Jesus is in the full sense of the word. And Lord, as we come to that understanding, help us to respond in deep and full commitment with willingness to give up whatever we have to give up to be his followers. And thank you, Lord, that as we do so, we look forward with joy to what you will do. Thank you, in Jesus' name, amen.